So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1 and jumping on around. And I'll be reading um, from the NIV, but 2011, so it might be just a little bit different from what you have in your pews. Listen then for the word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. It's by this gospel that you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, well, not even Christ has been raised. And our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now listen. I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. In a flash, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we also will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. For when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. For, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God that he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. There's nothing like birth and death to remind us of how precious our bodies are. I've spent the past few months focused on the tiny body of my son. My whole focus has been to feed his body when he's hungry, to wash his body when he's dirty, to dress his body when he's naked, to marvel at his body as he grows and changes, and moves, and smiles, and coos, and laughs. There is so much tenderness and attention with the care of a new little body. And it is only matched, I think, in the care and the tenderness and the attention that we give to a dying body. I worked as a hospital chaplain for a while, and I would receive calls in the middle of the night or the middle of the day to come to the bedside of a dying body. The body of a man surrounded by his family at 2 a.m. in a hospital room. And I watched as they touched, touched his body. They stroked his hair. They held his hands. Or I witnessed the body of a woman in the ER in the middle of the day with her husband beside her, who in recent years had cared for her, clothed her, changed her, fed her, and who for decades before that loved her. And I witnessed the tenderness and the attention and the care that these loved ones showed as they touched the body of those they loved. There is nothing like birth and death to remind us how precious our bodies are. And we come to a portion of scripture this morning, a part of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 
that is all about how precious our bodies are. So much so that God would go to any lengths to save them, to rescue them, to renew them, and to ultimately resurrect them. The, the Corinthian church was getting a lot of stuff wrong about the body. They were wrong-headed notions about sex, about worship, about food. And here we find that they also have just wrong-headed notions about resurrection and the body and what it all means for how we live now. The more well-off Corinthians, those who had full bellies and nice clothes and comfy homes, they were starting to think that the good life, the, the, the resurrection life that Jesus promised them was actually happening already. It was fully met in their experience now in their lives. They, they didn't really have to believe that Jesus was raised or even more preposterous that they would be raised after death because the resurrection in life was their best life right now. They had it pretty good. So Jesus must have meant this. And especially when they talked about the resurrection of the dead, it was a little bit embarrassing to admit that that was something they believed in in the circles they moved in. Resurrection for them was just a metaphor for having the best life now. And then there were others, influenced by the Greek thinking around them, that their souls mattered, not, not, not these things, not their bodies. So it didn't really matter what they did with their bodies, because God only cared about the moral state of their soul. For them, resurrection was purely spiritual. Not bodily. Come on, don't be ridiculous. Into this confusion, Paul's voice rings loud and clear. If there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no resurrection of the body, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised... Our preaching is useless. You, so is your faith. Because if the dead are not raised, well, get out of here, go eat, drink, and tomorrow you die. With passion and conviction, Paul disabuses the Corinthians of the wrong-headed notions. The resurrection of the dead matters. The resurrection of Jesus matters. The body matters. So much so that if any of that is untrue, then it's all untrue. And nothing else matters. Now, we can align ourselves with Paul and kind of chuckle at the Corinthians' wrong-headed notions about the resurrection. Be like, come on, can you believe they believe that? Come on. And we can kind of enjoy as Paul whips them into theological shape. But I think that a lot of what we talk about 
when we talk about the body and death and resurrection, maybe wouldn't get past Paul either. There are many Christians, maybe some of us, who believe something and we're pushed to articulate it that might be a bit closer to the Corinthian church than we'd like to admit. That the resurrection is a spiritual one. That when we die, our souls are saved, and we escape to heaven, the end. Despite the fact that whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed together, we say in one voice, I believe in the resurrection of the body. The Christian hope, the shape of our hope, is not about going to heaven when you die. As if God's plan for us is that our soul, without a body, just exists in some ethereal realm, playing a harp on clouds, maybe with wings. The Christian hope rooted in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the last enemy has been and will be defeated. That life will have the last word and not death. That death is in our escape hatch to our true home. But that in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we, body and soul, will be changed. And death swallowed up in victory. But what does that matter? Are we just arguing semantics this morning? You might be thinking, well, you know, we all kind of get there in the end. God wins. Are we getting a little bit too theological as we approach Christmas? But it matters because what we hope for, what we hope for when we pray, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, shapes how we live now. Which is why Paul ends his long and impassioned sermon on resurrection with an encouragement to keep working here and now. Keep doing the good work of the Lord. He says, therefore, all that has come, all that has come before, this entire section of his letter, everything I have said about the resurrection of the body, everything I have said about Christ's resurrection, everything I have said, even if you haven't understood it, therefore, dear, dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That it matters. Because if we only hold out hope for our souls going to heaven after we die, end of story, our bodies don't matter that much, do they? Because our souls are who we really are. Our bodies are just a thick suit of flesh and blood and veins that we walk around in until we get to discard them at the end as our soul escapes our body. 
And then really what we do with God's creation doesn't matter a whole lot either because, you know, we got heaven. Then our lives, our world, becomes just one big waiting room for death to release us to our true home. And then we really don't have to pray Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, do we? Because we'll get our reward when we die, right? What else could we be hoping for? But if we hope for the resurrection of the body, not only do our lives and our actions matter, our lives, our work, our ministry, our acts of service, our acts of faithfulness, our acts of love, our acts of justice, however small they may be, are not in vain. And then our prayer of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, it deepens. As we look to Jesus to renew not only the world that God loves, but to resurrect our own very bodies when death is defeated once and for all. When life has the last word and not death. When God is all in all. N.T. Wright, who's a biblical scholar, he's probably written more on the resurrection than anyone alive right now. He puts it this way. The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of this will last into God's promised future. That these activities, write, writes, are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we can call building for God's kingdom. This time of year, we focus on the story of a birth, on the tiny body of a baby boy born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. We rehearse the story of how God came into this world incarnate in body. And we remember how precious his tiny body was, not just to his mom, but to all of us for whom he came into this world. And we remember how precious his body was as it was taken down off of a cross and cared for by those who loved him and grieved his death. And this morning, with Paul's words in our minds and our hearts, 
we remember and believe how precious his body is now. Resurrected on the third day. Life triumphing over death. Returning at the end to renew all things as he has promised. The first fruits of all of us who fall asleep. And we remember and believe just how precious our bodies are now and into God's future. The shape of our hope shapes how we live. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. God of hope, we come before you, body and soul. We come before you, body and soul, trusting you, trusting your promises even when they're hard to understand or fathom, even when our imagination fails. But we know and we are assured in the fact that your son came in body to us, that all of who we are matters to you. All of who we are matters to you. And so we ask you to help us to help us know the shape of our hope. This resurrection of the body, the hope for those who have fallen asleep. Help us to love our own bodies. Help us to know how precious they are to you. We pray this in the name of the one who came in body to us, Jesus Christ our Emmanuel. Amen.